prescient, profound, and provocative, Othello has remained one of Shakespeare's most enduring and controversial plays. Now, in a time of political uncertainty, rising populism, and social fracture, it's been reinvented again. The Othello Project is an artistic response to the Shakespeare Tobacco Factory and English Touring Theatre's new production of Othello, directed by Richard Twyman, which comes to London's Wilton's Music Hall from 16 May to 3rd June. The project is generously supported by Amal, an initiative of the Saeed Foundation. I'm your host, journalist Abdul Rahman Malik. In this special podcast series, we're exploring the many facets of Othello, and this week's inaugural episode is entitled An Othello for Our Times. We explore what Othello means to us today, and we talk to Richard Twyman, who along with being the director of Othello, is also artistic director of English Touring Theatre. We're also joined by the inimitable Jerry Broughton, professor of Renaissance Studies at Queen Mary University and author of the groundbreaking work This Orient Isle, Elizabethan England and the Islamic World. We kicked off the conversation right at the beginning. Why Othello, I asked, and why now? I think there was a moment, probably in October, when... Richard came to me and said, we should really talk because I got a really interesting idea about Othello. And those conversations kind of took me down this rabbit hole, which is this incredible play. And what this play means, not only in its historical context, but what this play means for us now. And, and Richard, I was, I was so happy um, and pleased that you, you, you thought of me. Uh, but as well, I felt incredibly privileged in a way to be involved in what felt like the hacking of a play that is so sort of seminal and canonical in, in, in English literature. And I, and I want to kind of break that down a little bit of how we got to that moment where you said, let's think about doing the play this way. And I guess for you as a, as a, as a, as a, as a director, as a man of the stage, as, as, as someone who's immersed himself and his life in, in, in theater, why Othello and why Othello now? Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose it starts, I was um, asked by Shakespeare's Tobacco Factory to pitch for a production of Shakespeare in their season uh, this year in 2017. And I went to the bookcase, as you do, and you start to look through your different thumbed copies of Shakespeare plays. And I got to my old copy of Othello from uh, when I was 23, 24, and I was assistant director on a production of the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I had never come back to the play since. So, and I'd never really thought of coming back to the play, because when you are assistant director on a production like that, the Royal Shakespeare Company, I think you must see it almost 50 times. And uh, you know how that actor said that line, and it's ingrained into your DNA, and you want to just get get rid of it. You want to get it out of your system. So p I thought, okay, I'll read this play again, and I did. And something kept coming up to me, which was a very simple thing, which was the word more. And I was shocked at how many times um, it was used by Shakespeare. Um, obviously, one is really, really sensitive to... Uh, the derogatory racial comments about skin colour in there and they're very, you know, sort of academically poured over and 
um, and really zing in the ears in quite a painful way when you hear them. Um, but this word more was tripped over, and in the production we did certainly was tripped over, and every time I read it, and it kept catching me, and I kind of went, hang on, this this means more than, excuse the pun, mm-hmm. this means more than um, than what I think it does. And that's when I started to do some some research about going, what, what is the, what Shakespeare using with this word, and what's the original context? And uh, that opened up this whole kind of... Um, framework that totally blew my mind and went hang on a minute maybe there's this other way of looking at a fellow that that I've personally never seen on stage before certainly in this country and might give us a lens into this play that makes it really relevant really pertinent to an audience today and allows us to look at a lot of the issues that are um really um affecting our everyday lives um and certainly it was it was a bit of a risky move though Richard it, 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 I mean, e- even when we had that initial conversation, there was something slightly risky and dangerous about it in a way that we're, we're, we're going into terrain with this particular production that other productions have, uh, have, haven't not just gone into, but actually might have, might have actively avoided going into. It's a really toxic play, and certainly it's a really risky thing to be doing as a white director as well. I mean, I suppose for me, I mean, just going back a bit in time, my first uh, contact with Othello was when I was 16, 17, studying it for A-level, like I think a lot of people. Um, and it's a play that um, had a huge imprint on me at that time. And then again, doing it sort of in my early 20s, there was something very impressive about Iago, I think, at that point in my life, about how this man who feels he's really overlooked um, in the world and deserves more than he than he's currently getting. I think that's a very common thing for someone of, of that age. But also the way he's able to look through um, society and its mechanics and able to turn that and use that to his own his own willpower. That felt very impressive. Coming to the play today, reading it, as I say, the thing that um, really struck me was this word more and this understanding in this original context, which I know Jerry's going to talk loads more about, I hope, um, and it, but essentially it being synonymous with Muslim. And, you know, I and I think the reason I was able to see that, and I hadn't at any other, those previous two points I'd come into contact with the play, is I suppose partly to do with a lot of the work I've been doing recently at the Royal Court. Um, I spent three years at the International Department of the Royal Court. I was very fortunate to work in a lot of uh, different countries and work on plays, particularly actually, that were either written by or dealt with um, Islam. So the first was a play about Kashmir, which is where we obviously first worked together, Jinz of Eidgah, uh, which a, sort a, of... A magnificent play and a magnificent production. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it was obviously an extraordinary play that looked at both um, Islamic storytelling um, and spirituality, but also sort of what is political Islam and um, the impact of that on a family. Um, I've also, through that, been very fortunate to work in Turkey, to work with Iranian writers, to work in Lebanon, to work in Palestine several times. And I suppose it's become part of my everyday experience engaging in not not just Arabic culture in terms of that region, but also in terms of Islam, both politically, both spiritually, and on a you know on a human interaction level. So I mean, also, and I only realised this in hindsight reading the play is that I really spent a lot of my childhood in Islamic countries um, or Muslim practicing countries, because um, when I was ten, I lived in Brunei for five years, and then when I was um, in my late teens, my parents moved to Malaysia and they were there for about 10 years. So I suppose it's always been part of um, 
my uh, experience growing up, but something I'd n- you know never kind of acknowledged, I suppose. So that's a long way of answering. It is really risky, and dealing with these issues um, are, is so hot. But I think if you're going to do the play, that's what Shakespeare's inviting us to do. Um, yeah, there, and and I, I, I think I think in terms of a relationship with with Othello, I feel, I feel the same way. Having revisited after probably even longer than 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 you had, and going back into that, into the into that text, what you recognize about the play itself is that, boy, does it raise every possible fault line, cultural fault line, social fault line, economic fault line, political fault line, the fault line of relationships and relationship between men, relationship between women, relationship between the between between opposite genders. It's it is it is a rich play. And and I guess there's so many ways to 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 highlight aspects of it. But but this one was was most certainly compelling. And and in in a way it's so natural that that you're sitting next to, to to Jerry Broughton because I'm taken back by this very conversation to 2004 um, when I first came across your, your your work, Jerry, and that was in the context of Shakespeare again, and that was the the incredible season of of talks and panels and programs and performances that was the Shakespeare and Islam season at the uh, Shakespeare's Globe. Uh, uh, at Bankside, and I remember uh, I attended one of your one of your lectures, and it was on uh, it was on the Renaissance Bazaar, and it was this you kind of weave this incredible story of 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 not just the Silk Road, but of religious cultural interactions across the world that ended up in Europe and then gave back. And this this idea of almost cosmopolitan exchange, which I guess I must have known about academically, but you made it come alive for me. And your work throughout your 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 career has really been about making these cross cultural connections and seeing the world as far more complex and intertwined and and connected. Than, than, than I think most of us probably probably think it was. So if we can fast forward to, 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 to this moment in this conversation, when you hear uh, Richard talk about the Moor and w- that, that word appearing again and again, how f- compelling he found it, I know you find it compelling, but you can unpack it for us because in a way it's a doorway that reveals an entire entire world unpack the more for us and take us through that door. <laughs> well, well, Richard mentioned this, used this word toxic, and I think it's a really useful way of thinking about Othello. Yeah. If we ever want to question why Shakespeare is still our contemporary, you know, as we've be, just been saying in these exchanges, you've been saying, Abdul, as well, this is a play which is about sex, race, religion. It's all the topics that for us are so compelling and difficult at the moment. Um, and for me, I, I was interested in it because, like Richard, I had an interesting uh, uh, early childhood and adolescence where I, I was brought up in Bradford. Now, Bradford, of course, has a certain multicultural cachet within current English debates about your know, relationships with British Muslims. And I grew up, you know, playing cricket and hanging out with Muslims 
Sikhs, Hindus. I mean, that for us was just, that was our culture. That was British culture for me. So it seemed to me easy to then move into academia and start to tell stories about the fact that that had a very long historical legacy. Um, so I was doing it with the High Renaissance that we think about that as being exclusively European. It's not. Much of what happens in Italy in the 15th and early 16th century is an exchange competitively with the Islamic world, but also in many ways amicably. And of course, I was then starting to produce that work, the work that you've just been talking about, just after 9-11. And suddenly I was hearing all these accounts about civilization versus barbarism. You know, and that was basically West versus East. And I thought, this is a nonsense. This is a pernicious, dangerous myth about that longer history, which ultimately culminates, as we're going to talk about Shakespeare, because Shakespeare comes at the end of that, in terms of, a, of an exchange and an engagement with the Islamic world. And the whole question of the more, um, as Richard's been saying, you know, I think it's fascinating that here with an activist and educator, we're here with a theatre director and an academic, and the three of us are sort of triangulating and telling a whole new story about Othello. And so it has to be. I think. I think we have to work across these different areas to learn from each other. Um, and my work was just saying the notion of the moor, a moor in Shakespeare's mind would have been somebody from North Africa. Now, what's happened um, in the long history of, of Othello criticism? Othello, again, has this uh, rather, as Richard would say, toxic way of reflecting back our own prejudices. So throughout the 18th and 19th century, the idea of the more um, was, and I'm going to use this word very you know, advisedly, people like Samuel Taylor Coleridge, one of the great Shakespeare critics, says that the more is a Negro, and he cannot conceive of Shakespeare making such a figure of the great hero of this play. Coleridge can't believe it, and here is the great progressive romantic poet. Right? Even up until the 1950s, editors uh, of scholarly editions of, of Othello were still talking about the more and talking about blackness in deeply denigratory ways. 1950s uh, Arden edition, the uh, editor, a guy called Ridley, talks about Negro conductors in America. The language is absolutely pernicious and toxic, and I still teach it, and and I show it to students, and they are horrified by this. And there's a way in which Shakespeare, of course, is, is asking you to say, what do you make of this character like a more? Do you want to buy into all the prejudices and stereotypes? Or not, actually. And I think what Richard's highlighting is, how can you have some perspective on that when you watch it being performed on stage? But it's really up until, I think, really the, the 60s and 70s that we then shift that notion of the more, and we then think of him maybe as a as a black figure, but there's a challenge to the prejudicial assumptions that are made, and I think that's around post-war decolonization. The empire writes back and says, "Hang on, how are we positioning Othello in this way?" Uh, American civil rights. That's a crucial moment in when black actors start to play the role, and so you have a whole different way of thinking about that that role. You don't anymore have a figure like Laurence Olivier blacking up as he does in a deeply embarrassing film version. So you start to have black actors saying, how else might we approach this play? Um, of course, it happens in South Africa with John Carney famously does a, a famously anti-apartheid production of Othello, deals with those issues of race. However, however, I think that historically we've slightly skewed the way in we think about the more because as Richard's been saying, in Shakespeare's time, the Moor is defined as being a Muslim. If you are a Moor and you are called a Tawny Moor or a Black Moor, that means you are from Muslim North Africa. So when we think about Othello, I think it's interesting that we've had a tradition of saying a liberal response which says, play Othello as black and critique the way in which he's destroyed. A white society brings down the black man. 
What I think Richard's production has done very brilliantly is say, that's not really the case within the logic of Shakespeare's moment. He would have been seen as an even more complicated figure who was a convert to Christianity from Islam. And he says that in the early stages of the play. He tells us that, that that's a form of conversion that's happened. We hear that with uh, the way that Desdemona talks later in the play. In the Willow Song scene, she talks about her maid, uh, her mother's maid, who's from Barbary. Again, she's coming from a Muslim culture. So more doesn't simply mean blackness in our own racially saturated meaning. It means something far more complicated. It is about ethnicity, but it's also about religion. It's about faith. It's about the problems of conversions between faith, because that's what the, it runs, just as Richard picks up as a theatre director, as a, as a smart theatre director. He hears the, the resonance of this word, more, more. And also the phrase turning, turning Turk. I thought I keep saying, are we going to turn Turk? Are we going to turn in to, you know, the Muslims? Well, he himself is a Muslim convert. So the play it's suddenly the, starts a, to fragment in different fascinating ways. Fascinating fault line, isn't it? Yeah, and at, of course, at, for at our... the very heart of the play. Absolutely, and as Richard's been saying, it's the heart of our current moment where the, the, the racial logic that we are, I think, still stuck in, the play speaks to it to some extent, but the debates have shifted and changed. I think post 9-11, post 7-7, post our current sort of political climate in terms of Brexit, and the, the critique and the, 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 the dangers, the attacks on cosmopolitan that you've been talking about as well. And I think that the play just keeps hitting these jarring moments which are now so powerful and compelling for us. And so it just comes back to the fact that word more means so much more. And this is why I think this production is so really important and really brilliant because it has dangerously shifted the ground. But that's, it seems to me, what the best theatre does. It's about taking that challenge and shifting the logic, which is what's happened with this production. It's very, very historically important for the history of this play. I, I want to I come back to that in a moment, but I want to stay with the with the history for, uh, for, 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 a, for a second. Um, you know, your latest book is this amazing tome, which I hope listeners will, will, will pick up and, and, and read and enjoy. It's called This Orient Isle in which you describe the process of this cosmopolitan, globalized context in which the British Isles exists. And in a way, not, you may have meant it as, but now if that, that book and your argument in that book feels like a, a very powerful political statement saying that history teaches us something which the contemporary political discourse is unwilling to recognize. And in a way, I want you to take us back to that moment, the years before Shakespeare wrote Othello, because I think there's some really interesting moments you describe, um, not just vignettes, but, but actually sagas you describe in this relationship between Britain and the wider the, the wider world, particularly the worlds of worlds of Islam, I wonder if you could paint a picture of what some of these some of these sagas are and how they may have influenced Shakespeare's ideas as he was beginning to pen Othello. Sure, because I mean, we usually date Othello as early as 1601, maybe as late as 1604. That's the first time we know it's performed. I think it's around 1601, but there's still we don't we don't really know. But those are our rough dates. Now, for a generation before that. Um, of course, we're told that Tudor England and Shakespeare has no real connection beyond the English shores. And that's why the book is called This Orient Isle. It's a play on the Richard II line about this sceptred isle. England is this sceptred isle, which is completely a 
world into itself. This is an absolute nonsense. Right? It's a cosmopolitan world which, because of its Protestantism, isolates it from the rest of Catholic Europe. So the Reformation, of course, we're 500 years since Luther's Reformation in 1517, another interesting uh, anniversary. Because of that isolationism that happens, which is a, is a sort of theological Brexit from Europe that England undergoes, Elizabeth I reaches out to the Islamic world based on the fact that particularly the Ottoman Empire, is the great superpower, which again we forget. It's not about Spanish Habsburg power. At this time, in the mid-16th century, the great superpower is the Ottoman Empire. So Elizabeth says, I want to do trade deals with the Ottomans. I want to also have trade deals with the Barbary states, which is, of course, the world from which Othello comes as a Moor. So people from the Barbary North African states are known as Moors. So by the 1560s, 1570s, Elizabeth is trading amicably with the Barbary states, with the Ottoman Empire, even as far as Persia. There's a huge series of alliances that she puts in place, often very amicable with the Islamic world. They're trading arms, uh, often for silk and sugar, across right from, if you imagine, the, the scale of it is extraordinary. It's from Marrakesh um, in the west right through to Aleppo. Now, of course, we know the tragic current uh, resonances of Aleppo. And what do you know? We're going to end up with a play, Othello, which ends with Othello, the character, telling a story about when he was in Aleppo, having travelled all the way from the Barbary states in northwest Africa. Now, that's the, that's the sort of scene that we have of Elizabethan England trading very amicably, very openly in this period. Now, that's a story that we're not often told. It's a very important aspect of Tudor history. And, of course, because that's been going on for decades, Shakespeare is picking up on it. So from the late 1580s, all the Elizabethan dramatists are writing about Turks, Moors, Persians, Mohammedans, all these synonyms, different words for Muslims and for Islam. It's not really in the language, in the English language, until a few years later. But whenever you hear the word Moor, Mohammedan, Saracen, Persian, Turk, they're really talking about Muslims. So Marlowe has been writing about it. Uh, from the late 1580s. Shakespeare picks up on it in Titus Andronicus. He has R and the Moor. There's a Moorish figure again who's in Merchant of Venice in the mid-1590s. So it's no surprise that by the beginning of the 17th century, around 1601, when Shakespeare's thinking about Othello, he's writing through a very long tradition of Anglo-Islamic relations. And again, the relationship is not one of exotic, absolute difference. He knows figures like Othello, and actually they're people who are in alliance with the English state. So again, it gives you a completely different way of thinking about Othello. He is both somebody that you hope may be your great salvation, but is also a figure that you fear. So there's a huge, what I call an ambivalence. There's an amb do you love this man or do you actually really fear him? And that again is, I think, what Richard's production has captured. He's captured that much more complicated relationship, not the black man who is basically deceived by the white man. We know that. That's an old story. That's not what's going on here. It's far more complicated. And so the audience would have known that. They would have known that they were thinking about Othello in very complicated ways. Also, because one of the, the great aspects of the story is that many Protestant English men and women are converting to Islam in this period. That that That's a really fascinating sort of chapter that got missed in, 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 the, in, the, in the English history books, didn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely, because we know that from the 1570s we have accounts of English men, particularly traders who are going into the Mediterranean world, experiencing just what Othello says has happened to him. 
he's of course born we think a Muslim who then is somehow captured and converted to Christianity well actually the stories are often the other way around it's about English men who are trading in the Mediterranean captured often by Turks or Barbary North African pirates and they are forcibly but I believe in some occasions willingly convert to Islam because if you're a Protestant from Northern England and you're expecting the Armada to come at any point and somebody offers you <laughs> access to this incredibly sophisticated powerful empire with a very clear form of theology you might say yes actually and that's completely scrambles our notion of what happens in this period but the English they're a rogue state they are reaching out as supplicants to the Islamic world, particularly the Ottomans. And I have various accounts of people, as I say, from the 1570s, 1580s, who are converting and living quite happily in Islamic lands. And that has to feed into the play. The audience knows that this is happening, and therefore Othello is touching on all those issues, less of race as we understand it, but theology and conversion and people changing and shifting. And Richard will talk more eloquently than I can, that that is the way in which this play works. It's about people endlessly shifting their alliances, uh, changing their beliefs, moving whatever their race, whatever their ethnicity, or even their gender. You are listening to The Othello Project, created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amul, a project of the Saeed Foundation. Amul provides opportunities for people in Britain, regardless of their faith or beliefs, to come together and explore the rich diversity of Muslim cultures and arts. To find out more about the work of Amal, visit amal.org.uk. That's A-M-A-L.org.uk. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I, it, it, Richard, this 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 point that 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 Jerry raises around the character of Othello, and and in a way, what he represents, and how, in some ways, he contains in himself the hopes and the fears within the context of the play of the Venetians. But I think taking a step back from it, when we started kind of breaking Othello down and looking at his his various facets, we, we found that this is a prismatic character who can be interpreted in so many unusual and interesting interesting ways. But at the heart of it, there was a there's a problem for me. And the problem was that is Othello in his eventual murderous attack on his wife and this kind of breakdown of of morality, someone who is returning, in inverted commas, to his savage roots? Or is it someone who's being um, ripped away from a morality that he still holds to? And for me, that became almost the pivot point. It's, it's how we looked at that moment that was going to shape the 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 way in which in way in which the play developed and you and you guided the development of that play given everything that that Jerry has talked about in terms of what this character is invested in yeah i mean it goes back to this thing about how how dangerous and toxic the play is and as jerry says there's a real danger in any production that you end up um, doing the very thing that you're trying to comment on and um, and reveal in society, you end up becoming actually a kind of advocate of that in in the production and in particularly around in the picture and the character of Othello. And I've seen many productions that have fallen into that trap, sadly, and that do trace this journey of a kind of more civilized Western 
uh, assimilated Othello into Venetian society that then obviously always through Iago and what Iago is doing to him so through the, 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 the Venetian forces the sort of very toxic patriarchal and racist forces that are alive in that society but nonetheless um, sort of uncovers something in Othello that is innate that leads to to this act and that really 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 troubles me and I think troubles a lot a lot of people and it's why there's been this huge debate around this play about is it in fact is it racist isn't it um what I think this approach in terms of uncovering as well as his um you know as well as his racial identity in terms of skin color which he's constantly being made aware of in the play as well as that is looking at his cultural background his religious his spirituality I think what it allowed us to do was was have a more textured perhaps response to his character and, and, a, and a more textured understanding of what happens in that play that Iago starts to unpick in him. There's a really interesting moment, um, there's a very key line which is debated a lot which is when he says arise black vengeance and that's a really troubling line for a lot of people in terms of it's just at the moment where he then you know a few lines later he says he's going to kill Desdemona mm. and and arise black vengeance becomes a really troubling expression of something what's really interesting is the line just before that is when he says all my fond love thus do i blow to heaven and because of living in a you know in a particularly uh, in a sort of liberal uh, theater community you know relatively secular uh, world, I think a line like that can be really tripped over very easily. And actually, in this production, it becomes really significant because what happens is that that Othello is at that point blowing away, rejecting his spirituality, his spiritual identity, and actually embracing something which is much more prevalent in the world of Venice, the world that Iago is existing in, and has and Iago has been formed by. So um, that that makes a lot. A lot of sense to me and I think um, you know the interesting thing the slight difference um, that we've done this production we've gone a step further which is we've actually said Othello is secretly practicing um, Muslim in this society so on the surface he's converted and we put a big cross around his neck which he refers to and it becomes like a badge that allows him to exist in this society allows him to be accepted what you see is of course is that he's constantly compromised he's constantly being made aware of his difference in that world and there's a certain complicity within that that, as 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 we know, you know, he, he has he has to exist by the rules of that world. He's forced to in order to assimilate and get ahead. But the pressure of that assimilation is 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 psychologically so difficult. I mean, I think for the actor in in the the productions I've been involved in. There is enormous um, psychological pressure for the actor playing Othello, and I know later in the series, um, Abe is going to talk about his whole process. But it's a really hard thing to, on the one hand, be playing this iconic role, this this one of the few roles in classical literature that a black actor has, has historically been allowed to play. Thank God that's changing. Um, but at the same time, you end the play having killed the thing that you hold and love dearest, you know, Desdemona. Um, that is a that is a hard thing to get your head around, and you can see that in the rehearsal process. That really into being internalised um, in that actor, and so I think for me, this idea, this you know, where he breaks his prayer beads in our production, where he rejects um, his spirituality and in fact embraces something that exists in the Venetian society, as it were. There, there, there is something in contemporary British cultural life 
that is deeply maybe suspicious, but certainly uneasy about confronting and dealing with overtly spiritual narratives and overtly spiritual stories. And in, in, in a way, I guess one of the ways that we've pushed the boat out with this production of Othello is it's been unabashed that, look, we are going to deal with this head on. We're going to deal with this sensitively, with complexity, but unambiguously. There must have been a moment when you were thinking this through where you were thinking, God, the reviewers are really going to hate this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, you try, you obviously try and put that stuff out of your head, but but I I had no understanding of how it would go down, either with the reviewers or with an audience, um, because there's something really subversive. I mean, we start the play with Arabic, um, quite literally with Arabic being spoken within the framework of Shakespeare's language. That's that's quite a subversive thing to do in our society. And you do really question: Should I be telling the story? Am I going to get it right? Um, I'm not the right person to be doing this, and that can be incredibly crippling. And I think it can mean that you avoid a lot of things. You avoid spirituality. You avoid things that are far away from your own experience. But by, by that logic, Peter Brook's never going to have done the Mahabharata. <laughs> but, it's true, yeah. But, but, but by that, you know, it's... And then I start to go, hang on, I think this is a really dangerous thing, and I think it's a really um, key thing about how we see Shakespeare in our society. Because what you're then saying is within the context of a festival, within the context of a week at the Barbican, we can handle Shakespeare being done in a different language. We can handle artists from abroad taking Shakespeare and doing radical things with it in terms of uh, who's playing it or what it looks like. But what we really struggle with is someone within the kind of our culture, within our sort of establishment, wanting to, to embrace that, wanting to genuinely look at the DNA of Shakespeare and change it and go, this isn't what, really disrupt it. But, but you <laughs> have to, you have to do that because otherwise it's just ghettoization. You know, th this is what I think is interesting about what Richard's done because the other point, and it's just coming back to what you were saying, Abdul, is that we know any close readers, and it's why, dare I say it, the reviews have been so glowing because any good reader of Shakespeare and any good reader of Othello can hear that the play is saturated with the language of religion. You know, it's about bas baptismal seals, it's about conversion, it's, it runs right throughout the play. You know, Desdemona's using that language, Othello is Iago, everybody's using that language. So we flattened out a lot of that within a secular, uh, progressive, liberal approach to race, but nevertheless, we have flattened that out. And I think for Richard to come in and just identify those moments, and the reason I think that the, the, the production is resonating is because, as you've just been saying, Abdul, that's what it responds to at the contemporary moment now, in terms of what we're thinking about, in terms of how faith meets assimilation. This is a, a crucial issue for us in the UK and beyond, and that's what the play is persistently dealing with. And that's but it's a it's a very clever way of doing it, I think, to have Othello as somebody who is effectively uh, still a practicing Muslim being destroyed by that within the Venetian society, which of course is ostensibly a tolerant multicultural one. We see it in Merchant of Venice. Merchant of Venice does exactly the same thing. It says, you know, you can trade with us, you can come and uh, pray 
with us, but at a certain point when things go wrong or the money dries up, we're going to absolutely nail you. And that's what happens to Morocco in Merchant of Venice. And of course, it's what happens to Shylock. And we sort of feel happier doing that to some extent with that play. Why not with Othello? It seems to me it's more pronounced in terms of those issues. Othello, it seems to me, is a is a test case for what we're seeing going in around those collisions of faith and assimilation today. Go go ahead, Richard. I was going to say, I mean, the other way of looking at it in a way is we couldn't not do this. I mean, during rehearsals, um, you know, Trump's um, Muslim, (laughs) although he now denies it was a Muslim (laughs) man. Although he now denies it was a Muslim man. But, um, you know, it happened. So, you know, he, he, he... made our play more relevant by the day or our approach more relevant by the day. We, we couldn't ignore it. I mean, if you if we're going to do these plays today, you've really got to ask yourself one question of why are we doing it? And I, I don't know. I sort of think actually had anyone been doing this play at the, exactly this point, it would have come into there. Well, I think that's very kind. I think that's very modest of you. I do think there, is, there are these zeitgeist moments. We've seen that with the history of, of Othello um, on stage. You know, there's a moment where there's an anti-apartheid version in South yeah. Africa. And again, it's about close reading, but also being being brave and receptive to a current moment. And I think that that's what Richard's done. He's been open and brave to listen to the play more carefully and say it can move on. And that's, of course, what's one of the brilliant things about Shakespeare because it's such an open text, as they always are. I want to come back to this this point about problematizing and, and in some ways demonizing a religion and spirituality because there's something about, about this production which is... It positively deals with the role that spirituality plays in the internal life of a fellow. I think the opening scene, which which I'm sure listeners, when they see it um, in London, will connect with, it is a real pattern interrupt. It begins with the Arabic language. It begins by stating very clearly that Othello is coming from a particular religious, spiritual, and, 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 and cultural context. But throughout throughout the play, in a way, um, almost in a countercultural way, Othello's Islam isn't demonized. It isn't stereotyped. It's also not made simplistic. It's complicated, but it's not stereotyped. And I think that, as, as, as that emerged through the conversations, and of course through the work with the actors, that was really refreshing. Because it kind of freed us up to say, let's now deal with this as an intrinsic part of the story, rather than something that we've we, we, we've 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 tacked on. But there has been a process of 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 demonization in 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 in, in quarters. I mean, you talked about you know the 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 election of uh, the forty fifth president of the of, of the United States as being sort of a moment that that has brought various sort of nefarious, insidious, and pernicious forces together, particularly when it comes to the, the the presence of 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 Muslims in places like the, the United States and 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 beyond, but but Jerry, I, I imagine you see this in history as well because the history that you describe in the lead up to Shakespeare writing Othello seems far more porous and fluid, and there's a lot of ideas of the of the Muslim other, but there is a moment where that switches, where that other becomes dangerous enemy, um, combatant, foe in, 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 in popular culture. Um, what happens? Well, uh, partly I think what happens is that um, there's this problem about language of otherness, which I actually don't, I'm not 
keen on anymore because I think again it's a liberal response to talking about cultural difference which has now morphed into something else I think now there's, there's an awareness of the Islamic community saying we are we are regarded as other and that actually generates problems so I think it's more difficult than that and as I always stand up and say when I talk about Othello I say you know people who uh, went to see the play would regard people from the next village to them as other in terms of the language that we now use around otherness, right? So I think it's always shifting and very fluid at the time. And Shakespeare's playing with that. He's manipulating that. You know, who is the other at any point? Iago, his name is means Santiago, St. James. If you're a Spaniard, you know that that means Santiago is the slayer of the Moor. So he's identified as Spanish. Now, Spanish Catholics are seen as more other, if you're an English Protestant, than if you come from the Barbary States. So it's always fluid, it's always moving. And I think one of the, the great lines, which is, is the most delicious one in terms of the ambiguity of what Othello's all about, is when Rodrigo says, he's a wheeling and extravagant stranger of here and everywhere. And that is both, that's wonderfully ambivalent because that's both a terrifying vision of cosmopolitanism, but also a really exciting one. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. We, we can't pin him down. What's his religion? What's his race? What's his ethnicity? Who's he married to? We just can't pin this person down. So I think in the period, you can see both sides of the debate. You can hear, as I knew doing this research, you can go and find many anti-Muslim tracts from Shakespeare's period. It's tended to be, I'm sorry to say, white Western men who've written about that and said, oh, look, that's what's happening. I then say, well, I'm sort of looking for other stories. And then you find stories of accommodation, assimilation, amicable exchange. And you say, that is also part of the story as well. It will always be the case that cosmopolitanism is always something which is both uh, to be uh, aspired to, but it's also dangerous. We're in that same moment. It's a globalised moment where we're saying we all feel that we're to some extent working in these environments, globalised, but we also know that comes with huge economic and cultural consequences. And that's what's obviously driven Brexit. It's what's driven Trump's rise. And the play, again, is speaking to those issues. It speaks to them in the early 17th century, just as much as we are now embroiled in them now in the 21st century. You raise a really interesting interesting point here, Jerry, and is is that often I think in in our political discourse today, when we speak about globalized identities, when we speak about cosmopolitanism, or people who consider themselves cosmopolitan, it's painted as uh, this is a practice of the elite. This is the domain of the privileged who can travel and experience and eat from different cultures and learn different languages. This isn't the experience of the common woman, the common man. But what you've just told us is exactly the opposite um, story, Jerry, which is that, in fact, Othello, you know, t had his privilege taken from him was captured, was converted, was, uh, it, it is now embroiled in the world of Venice, a culture that is not his own, but that he's had to adopt, at least uh, accommodate on the, uh, on the surface level. Othello is not the privileged. Othello is the migrant, the refugee, the former slave, the downtrodden, the marginalized. And I do wonder um, the role that we have in theater and in the arts in terms of understanding those people who are coming across the Mediterranean, who are coming across from Turkey to Greece, who are struggling um, against all kinds of odds. Um, 
many of them even having been born in Europe or in the United States or, or Britain, who are cosmopolitans by their DNA, by their nature, and it's not a function of privilege. No, but, that, but, that's, the, but that's the story that tends to be told. I can tell you about many, many people who are writing about that form of cosmopolitanism, you know, particularly uh, academics or historians. Most of them went to Eton. Uh, th- that's the the issue and what you raise is the fact that uh, people who may, may be told that they're not part of a globalised community actually would listen to those definitions and as you've just described them say well yes they are in effect globalised cosmopolitan f- people but it's not about um, access to wealth or riches because of the way in which often forced migration happens so I think this is the problem that we have which theatre has a kind of great role because it doesn't necessarily have to tell those elite stories in most of the discourse that we hear in the media in academia, it is about elite cosmopolitanism of people who move between Eton and Harvard, you know, and Paris and London. But there are different stories of those globalised identities, and those are the ones that don't get heard. But they are embedded in a play like Othello. You are listening to The Othello Project, created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amul, an initiative of the Said Foundation. To keep up to date with ETT's work, visit ETT. Dot org dot uk and sign up to their mailing list. Upcoming shows include Rules for Living by Sam Holcroft and The Weir by Connor McPherson, touring UK venues this autumn. Don't forget to get your tickets to Othello, also available from ett.org.uk. Well, what I'm excited about, Richard, is... I mean, I, my, 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 my dream moment, I think, when, when Othello comes to, to Wilton's is... is in our audience to have you know the 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 children or the grandchildren of people who immigrated from Bangladesh Silet in the in the audience and to have some of our white cosmopolitan elite in the audience <laughs> and to have the the children or the grandchildren of of African or African Caribbean uh, parents or grandparents in the audience from a variety of different cultural, linguistic, ethnic, and religious backgrounds, watching the play and then going out into the bar and having a really intense and amazing conversation. That would be my victory moment, Richard, where I'd say, yes, we we, we did it. Yeah, I mean, I really hope that happens. I mean, it's those people that I wanted to make this production for. It's those people who don't see themselves represented on our stages very often, and certainly not within our within our classical canon. I mean, Shakespeare occupies such a prominence in in our national identity and the work that's about us and how we see ourselves in art. And if if you are if if you never see yourself in those roles, it's it's a really, really dangerous thing. If, if, if you're someone who, through your life, has a huge stake in the state identity and yet never sees yourself represented in the state culture, I think that is a really dangerous thing. So I, you know, even everything from the image in terms of how we're promoting the show, you know, it's a, it's a man, it's Othello with his head bowed in prayer. Um, in Islamic prayer and I hope that will mean something to an audience who won't normally see the words William Shakespeare and that image together and and I think that probably is quite a disruptive subversive thing in terms of our mainstream culture and that's the thing that um, I get really thrilled about when people criticise actually because I think it means we're then really touching a nerve Jerry that that must be a kind of a victory moment for you you you've spent the last 20 plus years trying 
researching, writing to get that story into the mainstream. Absolutely. I mean, I in the book, um, when I wrote Orient Isle, I wrote it and, and the end was very emotive because of talking about my own history and coming from Bradford and saying the story that we tell about our nation, who is our nation. Hopefully, if you are telling a story about 16th century England that says, um, you know, students uh, are from, say, Bangladeshi heritage or Pakistani heritage, North African heritage, who have grown up here and identify to some extent as British, British Muslim, can say, this is part of our story. For me, that's the kind of great triumph, is to say there is a longer heritage here and let's not make it parochial because that's just buying into a certain stereotype about nationalism. And we can do it in the theatre, we can hopefully do it in books, we can hopefully do it on podcasts to say there is a different story that we can tell. And this, I think, more than ever at this moment is really important as a story that we do have to tell because it's both real for the history and it's real for the way in which you can open up something like Shakespeare. You know, I was horrified that like, you know, last year was the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare. I used to write pieces saying, where is the, where is the, where is the Muslim community in this story? It, you know, the, the, it, these plays are part of that, the story about Shakespeare. And we get nothing. It's all about Stratford-on-Avon and people having tea and eating scones. And it's just, this is not what that period is about. And it seems to me that Richard's Othello just opens up a whole different avenue of what you can do with Shakespeare plays. You can do it with Titus, you can do it with uh, Merchant of Venice, you can do it with a play like Pericles. These are plays which are open-ended in terms of even just the places they're set in. We know that they're set in North Africa, they're set in the Mediterranean, they're set in effectively Islamic world where the English are encountering Muslims. That is part of that story in the early, in the early 17th century, late 16th century. Goodness knows it's part of our story now. And the, and the Mediterranean has this great lake of exchange. And I, I, I and, and and I love the way in many ways, Richard, you 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 really ran with the idea of of the play shifting from Venice to Cyprus because you brought in actors who are Arabic actors. Um, one of the actors is is from Syria, um, and it's it's wonderful that we when we shift to Cyprus we begin to hear and experience even in the music and in the language that the that the production uses a shift in culture. And yet we're still within the confines of Shakespeare's play. Yeah, I mean, who's allowed to tell these stories is so important, isn't it? I mean, just picking up something Jerry said, um, this, this production is one thing, but what I, I think the real success of it, if this is possible, and we won't know this for a while, is if this opens up a door for other artists, for, for the next generation. Uh, you know, in a way, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this play, you know, um, and it's only really through through your you know advice, Abdul, and and guiding me through this process, and, and understanding that I've felt the confidence in, in a way to be able to, to tackle this in this way. But what we really need, isn't it, is the next generation, is is those children that you've been talking about. Um, they're the ones that will really be able to do this play in a way that um, that totally captures something in it that we've never seen before and um, this feels like a stepping stone um, and, and if and if this production can inspire someone who sat in that audience in Walton's music hall to go actually I have a right to tell this story and to make this story about my life then that I think would be a success I, 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 I that really resonates with me and, and you know recently I've been revisiting James Baldwin after watching I Am Not Your Negro, which is such a magnificent film, which almost sits as a companion film to this production of Othello in so many ways. But the thing that struck me about and has been striking me recently about 
about Baldwin's narrative and, and work is that he could hold the fact that he was coming from an African-American context in history, and yet he could embrace the universality of what it meant to be human and recognize that his history and his experience gave him access to a way to see humanity in its in its fullness. And and if I can turn that as we kind of wrap up uh, to, to, to what what you've been saying, Jerry, and what you've been doing through your research and your work, and Richard, what you've been doing through through your work, not just with Othello, but before, in a way is 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 the aspiration. The aspiration that through productions like this we will recognize our histories and what we bring with us. But that of course is a way to access the universal and the human. And and to say that it doesn't matter if I'm Muslim or black or migrant or children of immigrants or if I'm from a Yorkshire village. The humanity is my playground, and I have every right to go into it and tell stories and interpret it and, and, and get my hands dirty because this belongs to all of us. Absolutely, and, and, and bring it back to the character of Othello, that's what makes it such a tragedy, isn't it? Because he, that's his belief, and that you know he is a success in that world, and yet he is made to question that, that very fact. And that's why I think for me, in terms of contemporary tragedy, it is one of the most pertinent, one of the most extraordinary, and, um, and I think resonates with the world today. Thank you so much, Jerry. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Richard. And and um, I hope that, that, that those are listening. I hope you get a chance to go out and see this production of Othello, which is going to be at, at, at Wilton uh, Music Hall uh, in, in East London. And, and we certainly hope that after the after the uh, the UK run is over, uh, there's going to be a global audience. I'm sure Richard waiting to see to see this production. So we're keeping our fingers crossed and saying a prayer and knocking on wood that this isn't the 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 end, but just the end of the beginning for this particular production. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Othello Project, created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amal, a project of the Said Foundation. Special thanks to our guests Richard Twyman and Jerry Broughton for a cracking conversation. Special thanks also to Ellie Isherwood for recording and sound design, and the incredible team at ETT for pulling this all together. Othello runs at Wilton's Music Hall London from 16 May to 3rd June. Tickets are available now from wiltons.org.uk. I've been your host, Abdul Rahman Malik, Tune in next week for episode number two, where we get inside the soul of the Moor and speak to actor and activist Abraham Popola.